Welcome back to Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning Marvel films and TV shows. We've got Adam, we have Rhiannon, we have myself, I am Caleb, and we are here and we are mustering ourselves to be really positive today because we want to put positive things out into the world, I think. Speaking of putting positive things in the world, Adam, you want to talk about the comic shop? Yeah, we're we're uh, starting a comic and game store because we have too much stuff and we need to sell it. We being uh, you and your family. Yes, my family and I, not us, not not Marvel News Desk. <laughs> no, my dad has over the decades he's amassed um, tens of thousands of comics, um, and we're in rural small town Iowa, so. Yeah, we got a sweetheart of a deal on a location, so we're going to be brick and mortar and all. But um, I was about to say because I feel like the, the the challenge there is overhead, but if the family's running it, and I'm assuming retail uh, retail space is not real expensive in the middle of Iowa. Uh, no, it's <laughs> hard to beat free. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, why not? You know, both my parents are retired. Um. We'll we'll see what we can do. It's mostly going to be online stuff, um, selling through various platforms and seeing which works and stuff. But and you're going to have games. Like, is it going to be like games, a board tabletop game games? Yeah. What's that? Like, yeah, tabletop games. Yeah, tabletop games, uh, board games, card games. You know the deal. Probably won't get into miniatures just because none of us play miniatures and stuff like that, or, or painting them. But you know other other similar stuff so i was telling rihanna we were in washington dc a week or two ago and we went to a place called third eye comics which was an awesome comic shop in dc if you're around there you should go and they also do they have like a huge comic shop and then right next door is a huge Mm -hmm. game shop because i feel like that's the model i'm seeing lots of successful comic stores having that like they do both so yeah comics don't uh it's it's amazing people are in comics because nobody makes comic like nobody makes money off comics you know from the creators to the publishers to the retailers i don't know how it can sustain so uh yeah it's mostly most people have games third eye is awesome third eye uh that is the local comic store of one tom king oh he's a <clears throat> he's a big supporter of that he always posts about third eye plus they have dynamite branding and the whole third eye mascot and stuff yeah i was telling rhiannon the thing i loved you know being woke caleb and everything walking in like it was an all-female staff like and they were like super friendly and kind well also like it wasn't a bro club like so many comic shops are like that was really refreshing we we've ranted about this before don't don't be comic guy you know (laughs) yeah don't be but, comic man in the store. And I just have this really intuitive system. If I walk in with my like six-year-old daughter and I'm like, oh, this is a cool place for her to be in. That is success as a comic store. And you would be shocked at how rarely <laughs> I find success at a comic store. <laughs> All right. Rhiannon, anything exciting going on for you? Um, I went to a little Comic-Con last week. Oh, um, yeah. I was. Let's just segue to it. <laughs> what San Diego was like last week. You know, it was, I mean, so here's the thing about San Diego Comic-Con is there is so much going on. And like last year, I didn't even look at the list of panels, you know, like the schedule came out. I looked at what was Hall H, uh, Ballroom 20, the big, big stuff. I looked at, you know, what the studios were doing and I aim for those. And once you aim for a couple of those, you can't really do anything else. So this year was interesting because you could look, you know, look, well, you, everybody could always look, but, you know, I actually looked at those little panels and, you know, they still had a ton of programming. It was still packed. Um, I didn't even walk to the show floor until Saturday because just the reports were that it was madness as far as the exhibition hall where all the vendors are and everything. I never even was able to walk into the Marvel booth. The Marvel booth. I remember my first many cons going to the Marvel booth and there being like an ebb and flow. But like now, evidently, it's just all full of people all the time. Um, 
it was it was still just a really good time. It was very different. I absolutely enjoyed being able to have a full night's sleep all four days. Um, you know, visiting with a bunch of people. We had nine of us there from Save Daredevil. Um from worldwide we had folks in from sweden and england and everything because we thought it was going to be a big year for us <laughs> um so yeah we still the nine of us got to hang out and, and have a great time together so it was great to see all the save daredevil ladies saw joe casada a couple of times um john Romita jr um sat on a dc panel i don't remember what that was about um but just, you know, it was just like a very, it was still very exciting. And I think that's what like a lot of people that are there, they're like, oh, I was surprised. It was still very interesting. Um, when I go out to San Diego, I always stay with my cousin and I've never been able to get her to come do anything. And I actually was able to drag her out and we stood in a line early in the morning to go to the Hulu animation, Animayhem thing where they had Bob's Burgers. They were giving out Bob's Burgers and Futurama stuff and all of that. Um we did not get a burger and we are very bitter about it. Um, but it was, you know, we had to sit on the Simpsons couch and do stuff like that. Um, and my number one achievement is I got on the IMDb yacht where they were serving free margaritas and I got a captain's hat. Hang on. I have the captain's hat right here. For a podcast, there's nothing quite like a visual gag. There you go. IMDb captain's hat um and 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 by that point see so like last year when we lined up for holly h we were right outside the imdb boat so i spent a lot of time just sort of complaining about that well one like the fumes were shooting right at us but also their music was annoying and like celebrities were going on and five minutes later they were coming off and it looked really boring so i i had a beef with the imdb boat so my friends like the moment they saw that there was an opportunity to get on they were like rhiannon you have to um so i went on the mdb boat and it didn't suck there were free margaritas free popsicles free beef jerky and i cheated at trivia to get a captain's hat did you pull out your phone to like look stuff up no no they had like the same questions that they were just like recycling through constantly so somebody that had been there earlier was like just while you're standing in line listen to what they ask everybody else and you'll know the answers nice so i did it did seem like san diego comic-con was actually a comic convention this year like i feel like i paid way more attention to the stuff out of marvel comics than i ever have in years before because it wasn't being distracted by all the film and tv stuff i don't know yeah yeah i I thought it was interesting and i know we'll probably get there too that like marvel still dropped trailers during it i'm like dude just let it breathe let it be a comic-con um and yeah and it felt like i mean i feel like there were two big groups there there were people genuinely interested in comics there were people genuinely and well there were some folks for smaller i mean there were some stuff that did still have star trek fans had a ton of things to do they showed the new crossover episode they did stuff for them and there were folks if you were interested in the shopping and the exclusives i i'll be very interested to see how the vendors made out at this con because like so many people go just for the exclusive exclusive funkos and the exclusive ucc stuff and um yeah they were definitely there in force so it'll just be really interesting to see how in the end people talk about it but i definitely missed the celebrities though i enjoy that part because none of the other com cons have that level of just like chance celebrity encounters and you know seeing all kinds of stuff and the excitement i enjoy the whole age excitement and i missed it so adam as somebody who um san diego comic-con makes your work life suck for a year every year <laughs> week every year uh i don't know any thoughts about comic-con from the uh from the writing side more years like this please because <laughs> we didn't have to do anything we just were normal schedule and all that stuff so yeah it's absolutely insane they're saying record numbers comics wise and all these retailers uh cleared houses and that's how it should be you know but it'll be right back to the usual stuff next next summer unless everyone's still on strike next summer which at this rate looks like it could be a possibility so uh 
Yeah, I'm glad Rhiannon got got a hat. That's a really cool hat. I like captain's hats, so that's a that's a really cool hat, and you should always wear that on the podcast. Makes me think of uh, you guys watch How I Met Your Mother. There was a character called the Captain. He like owned a boat and he like walked around being the captain of a boat and doing nautical terms all the time. So I might I might wear the captain's hat. It's actually very comfortable and uh, and it's adjustable, so it fits my big head so i might just wear it to every con from now on take it i'm definitely taking it to san diego next year you should find a way to make various cosplay costumes that all fit the hat <laughs> like four or five <laughs> different cosplay things but the hat is always the the finishing touch yeah yeah so and it felt like i wasn't supporting a stricken property like imdb yeah. not amtp um amptp so yeah. Now the only Marvely stuff, there was a few uh some toy stuff that came out and some comic stuff. Um, they did have a panel about X-Men 97. And I guess I think that's gearing up to be released. I mean, they've got a bunch of toys out now, and they seem to be talking about it like it's around the corner. Um I don't know. I'm really excited about that show, and I'm also suspicious. That it's strike filler for uh, for Disney Plus, but um, I don't know. I was excited to see a little bit. I guess they showed some footage to people and everything. So I totally missed that that was happening. Yeah, this is the first I've heard about it. I guess animation is this very ambiguous union place, and like so much so that they're encouraging the animators to like try to find a way to get themselves aligned better with some of the big unions because i guess animation is just like uh i don't know you're just like chained to a desk and you animate all day long and you don't have a lot of like fight back so um i don't know i think we may be seeing a lot of animated stuff the longer the strike goes on but animated stuff and a24 i mean i think it's worth noting that there is a studio out there that said we'll do everything that sag and wga is asking for and they're producing stuff you know with the blessing of the union unions uh did we have any other thoughts about strikes i mean i know we've talked a lot on the show it seems like it's not moving anywhere at all right now so i mean i i think last weekend was very instructive of the challenge uh, the Barbenheimer phenomenon led to the fourth biggest box office weekend in the history of American films, you know, and I just think the reality here, and maybe I'm wrong, but the reality is they can report zero costs in production because nothing is being produced and gigantic windfalls of money from Barbie and Oppenheimer. And that's going to function until maybe even Christmas, you know, like it depends on whether they want to put stuff out that they can't promote with actors. And it seems like some projects, I get the sense that Warner brothers is real squirrely about Aquaman two without obfuscating us with like Jason Momoa, you know, like how are we going to convince people to see this movie? If it's not look at how cool Jason Momoa looks. Um, But, you know, I think they've got enough in the pipeline that they can go another six months of this and not slow down revenue and have very little production costs. Now, is that short-sighted ridiculousness? Because then first half of next year, they'll get slammed hard. Absolutely. Do I think that they care? Not really. <laughs> I don't know. Well, is that what you guys are seeing it? I mean, I think Barbenheimer, those cast members were able to do some press. Like they got press in before the strike started you know oppenheimer they walked off they walked out of the the red carpet because of the strike vote so i think it'll be interesting to see our the next blockbusters where the cast hasn't had any chance to promote it where there isn't anything with the cast to hype it up where some of your influencers and stuff are less likely to go to the premieres you know like who's going to be at these premieres who's going to be hyping these pro- projects 
you know, how good is SAG at keeping some of these people from crossing the picket lines in those ways and seeing what that promotion is. I think that'll say a lot about how far this goes because yeah, they'll do it as long as they can make money. And they're not even coming back to the negotiating table for folks that, for folks that aren't following it. The union said, you know, Hey, well, we're ready to come back and negotiate. And the studios said, no. So there's not even discussions happening at this point. Yeah. Cause as we said early on, I think ironically enough, the strike makes their balance, like their balance sheet look good for as long as they have content to release, you know, like it's all revenue and no costs and that will make them look fantastically profit, you know, profitable. And so that's kind of the sucky part, I guess, of all this. Yeah. And when we look, even TV shows, you know, like with FX taking some of the stuff that only streamed on Hulu and, you know, Reservation Dogs is going to be on FX this fall, which is an amazing show that a lot of people haven't seen. And I mean, they're going to be able to dig deep. They're finding creative ways to get some of this content out there. The interesting thing on that is that now, like the cast of Reservation Dogs will be eligible to have residuals because it's going to be airing on a network. So they're going to make more money off of this too. So it's going to be really interesting. And I think we're in for the long haul. Yeah. Along those lines, if people haven't seen, uh, if you really want to see Miss Marvel and for some reason you don't watch Disney Plus, Miss Marvel's going to air in August on ABC. So I'm excited for people to get a chance to see that show because I think that's one that's so fabulous that if they can just get it in front of the right eyeballs, you know, I think it could have even a second little life for itself. So. I think that's a great setup for what is probably our next topic. Yeah. The Marvels has a trailer. We should talk about that because I am. So I think pretty clearly this was the trailer that was cut for San Diego Comic-Con. If they had had a Marvel panel, Marvel Studios panel. And we got it. And you guys know how I feel. I am just delightfully excited. I am so wonderfully excited happy about the marvels and so i I did feel like there wasn't a lot to this trailer beyond other ones i know some i know one or two youtube channels i watch just skipped like a trailer breakdown because they were already excuse me they're already at the con and they were like i don't know i can't say anything about this one we didn't say about the last one um but did you guys have any other further thoughts about what we saw out of the marvels I mean, the main thing about this trailer that we didn't, that we only saw a very quick snippet of in the past one is Zawe as the villain. Is she, did they call her the Annihilator? Um, I don't know, but she has, um, well, she's got a, um, I'm losing my mind. She's got the hammer, like, uh, she's got an accuser hammer. Yeah. So we got more of Zawe as the villain in this so not like anything substantial or big um i didn't like this trailer as much as the last one i feel like the last one got me really hyped but this one was just like okay more kittens more flirkin drama and just a little bit more info so yeah i do enjoy i feel like they're just letting us know this is going to be fun you know, like it's going to be a, a fun, goofier one, like a room full of flurkins floating in zero gravity. Like, I'm sure there's going to be some edgelords are like, dude, this is so dumb. And I'm like, no, this is going to be super fun. You know, like it's all right for us to have a breezy one. And, uh, you know, particularly after like Wakanda Forever is like, let's talk about how death ruins life and how we come through the ashes of mourning. I'm totally cool to have one where we just got a bunch of flurkins floating around in space. Like that's okay with me. Uh, I'm kind of happy for the goofiness, but I, I I'm all for goofy, uh, goofiness as long as it's not as goofy as whatever as Love and Thunder. Yeah, like give me some plot, make it make some sense. But yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. I. I'm hoping we haven't seen like all of the fun moments. I don't know. It feels like they gave us a bunch of fun fun moments. And I know, I mean, I used to say Marvel's really good about keeping surprises and keeping, you know, things for you to experience in the movie, but 
at this point is that any guarantee i they, they've lost my trust but i'm hoping we haven't seen all the fun moments yeah adam i feel like we should check in with you on like cosmic stuff i mean i know the kree are there we'll I'm probably get none of, of it here. yeah we'll probably get like none of it just because that's how marvel rolls with the the cosmic stuff so you know it is what it is Looks I, fun. I, I, I mean think- I would, at this rate i don't know man i'm just i'm cautiously optimistic what's uh what i hear this someone on tiktok said delusionally optimistic but i'm not that it's uh, i've disliked much more marvel stuff than i ever have over the past two years so you know i thought i was gonna like Ant man 3 and it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my life so i don't <laughs> you know i don't know uh yes i'm cautiously optimistic for for what we said or what we've seen so far i guess i do wonder sometimes if it's just how much of a stinker the stinkers are because like if we went back and listened to all the episodes we've done you loved wakanda forever you loved werewolf by night you enjoyed a lot moon night um i'm mm. uh, trying to think through so you really like you really hated love and thunder and quantum mania but like you loved guardians 3 so it's weird like i feel like you've actually really enjoyed you you were crazy about eternals so like I don't know. That's weird. So I think Eternals was uh, with everybody. I mean, everyone said it was absolutely awful. And I'm like, it's good. You know, <laughs> like I didn't think it's as bad as everyone said. Yeah. Uh, but this week, uh, the past few weeks, that uh, recency bias, I guess. Yeah. And the opposite. What's the can you have recency bias when you don't like something? What's that? Yeah. That's- yeah because you're still biased for the opinion of what most recently um yeah maybe it's that you know i'm also notorious for just loving everything i've recently seen which is why i'm heartbroken they've pushed craven back a whole year i'm not sure if you wanted to talk about that oh i didn't even see this when did this happen oh sony moved everything around they bumped some things up they bumped some things back uh craven bumped from october to next august i think wow so well i mean that'll just help my fiscal 2023 it'll be 12 less dollars that i'll have to waste on something i hate (laughs) i mean that's the thing i mean you're not gonna do a press uh tour with without aaron taylor johnson so better be safe than sorry um yeah man i'm i'm excited for the marvels I thought it was really funny. The other day we drove by McDonald's and they're selling Marvel's toys in the Happy Meals right now. And it it cracks me up that you can move a movie and everything works except for the McDonald's pipeline. And they're like, no, sorry, bro. Everything's already in place. Like we can't because it happened. Uh, the Mario Super Mario Brother toys came out in like December, January, and the movie didn't come out till April because mcdonald's is the least flexible people i guess to be able to like change their children toy programming which is bizarre to me well i mean yeah just look at toys and consumer products in general you know every single movie every single tv show we either get first looks or name reveals or whatever you know it's and it always comes through some t-shirt that nobody's gonna buy on what's the size zappos or, or whatever uh Whatever, I guess. The other thing I was going to mention, this is a little spoilery for the end of Secret Invasion. I think there's a lot of hope that some of the things that Nick Fury talked about as far as like Kree scroll piece being something that might be happening in the cosmos will be a major topic in Miss Marvel. But I'm also getting the sense that that's not the case at all. And they have not lined those things up. Have you heard anything along these lines, Adam? No, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if the Marvels doesn't reference Secret Invasion in the slightest or any of the storylines there within. Which would be annoying because, you know, like the hope was that with Disney Plus, we could line things up. It is going to be really weird for Nick Fury to be like, oh, I need to go up and talk to the Kree about making peace with the scrolls. And then four months later, we get a movie with Nick Fury in space 
talking to the Cree and it just doesn't come up, you know, like that will be very frustrating on the continuity side. It is, you know, there's this weird dynamic where everyone's like, everything doesn't need to be connected. And then we get like standalone stuff like Moon Knight. And, you know, one of the biggest criticisms of Moon Knight was that it had nothing to do with the MCU. And same thing with Secret Invasion. I mean, Secret Invasion had much more connective tissue, but at the same time, everyone's like, ah, maybe we just go back to everything's connected. You know? I mean, my biggest thing is at this point, I do feel like they have put out a whole lot of teasers and feelers in the last like three years of movies whether it's the Blade reference in Eternals or whatever the stuff was at the end of Shang-Chi or, um, uh, you know, the uh, putting Hercules in Thor Love and Thunder. Like, there's all these things that are like, ooh, this is coming next. Doctor Strange running off with Clea to the Dark Dimension. And if their thing is like, oh, we're going to introduce all that and then we'll follow up on it 15 years from now. Like, that sucks. Like the the end credit stuff that we got in phases one and two, usually you were two or three years away from seeing something about that continue. You know, those teases that are just teases to tease and not to actually pay off some down the road is a little annoying, I think. And it's also weird that, uh, you know, we had just gotten done with pandemic delays for the most part. And now we're going to go through the same exact stuff again. So uh, I, at this rate, uh, we probably won't see Secret Invasion in the 20s. So at this rate, you know, 2031 probably is with Secret, or not Secret Invasion, Secret Wars. Yeah. Uh, And it's it's really hard because from the Union side, I think they actually give themselves a lot of leverage by what you're talking about. But I also, I have a little sympathy when the studios are like, guys, if we take a break now, we might crush theaters. I don't know if that's wrong. Now, that should to me be impetus to the studios to just freaking pay the people what they deserve to be paid and let's move on. But I do worry that these two sides in the strike, I, I, you know, like AMC is about to go under. And if they don't have product again in three months, I really don't know what happens to the theater business, you know? And well, I think yeah. in game rewatches or something, license old movies again or something, you know, show the whole Indiana Jones series, do empire strikes back and you'll make a killing. You know, Seriously. They can make some, make some money. Seriously. Just and there's some, stuff, there are some then. movies that are not available on streaming. Mm-hmm. Like there's some like Miramax stuff like your like dogma you mm-hmm. cannot even like buy that on am like you cannot access that movie right now yeah you can't even buy it on dvd and stuff yeah you can't buy it on dvd you can't like buy it digitally and download it from amazon or something like there's some stuff out there that movie theaters could show that people will be like holy crap look but- at that we just solved the studio's problem just all the like if Warner Brothers wanted, they could just probably release Batgirl, you know, or stuff they probably not Batgirl, but other stuff that's already been released that they've taken off streaming, you know. So I see what you guys are saying. I would just say a lot of those ideas maybe juice out $10 million domestically, $15 million domestically. It's definitely not bringing in. The whatever 320 million to the u.s box office that we right, saw but it's more weekend. from a, a way to keep the movie theaters alive and the movie theaters don't need 30 million dollars you know there are options is all adam and i are saying like yeah. i think, I what, think what we will see over the next six months is imaginative thinking because what the next six months have that the pandemic didn't have is people can go sit in those seats so if amc wants to survive they can come up with ways to survive. They, yeah, they they could come up with something. It's just, are they thinking in those ways? Are they being flexible? Are they trying to make those deals? Hopefully, they're out there talking to Disney and being like, "Hey, 
do you have a like scene in a box we can add to Star Wars? Because that could get, you know, you yeah. throw something from the cutting room floor into one of those old classics and re-release it. That could be your $60 million box office weekend. I would, I mean, I'd love to see, and it's it's contractually, I think, difficult. Sports, you know, like I'm a Detroit Lions fan. If I could watch the Lions on a theatrical screen, and even if they charge me 20 bucks, heck yeah, I'd do two hours in a theater to like watch the game on a big old screen with good sound and everything with a bunch of other people that like that same team, you know, like, I don't know, that's kind of stuff would be cool. Yeah, and I mean, that's the type of stuff that Alamo Drafthouse like really, really leaned in on, not necessarily sports, but they would do like old movies with a themed night. And the thing is, they don't have to pay as much to the studios. Like if you're pulling out, they did like the old Phantom of the Opera movie and made it a sing-along night. And, you know, you're not having to pay the studios as much. So almost all of that is profit for the movie theater. And, you know, so everybody came in, they got like a rose and blah, blah, blah. And the little phantom mask. And it was a sing-along night. And like, that theater was sold out that night which you can't do stuff like that every night but there's options yeah so we need to talk about secret invasion if you want to see people that really don't like secret invasion go on the internet um we're gonna try to do some positive things before we do more honest things so (laughs) let's start with uh what do you guys think was the very best part of the show? What was the thing you think worked best about Secret Invasion? Sam Jackson, probably. Olivia Coleman. Um Yes. They were they were both standouts. Olivia Coleman was amazing. Sonya was an amazing character. I want to see more of her. Mm-hmm. I want her to have purpose. She was great. Yeah, and I feel like some of the dialogue writing was really good. You know, like we talked about like Don Cheadle and Sam Jackson in the restaurant and um, Ben Mendelsohn and Sam Jackson on the train. Though I guess maybe Sam Jackson wrote chunks of that dialogue, which is interesting. Um, But like, I feel like a lot of that stuff, uh, uh, even Olivia Coleman and Sam Jackson on the, like sitting in the car, d- taking a road trip out to the grave, like playing hip hop music. Like I felt like those th- sort of moments were really good. And I think they really wrote the dialogue particularly well in that those kinds of spots. Yeah. The other thing, I don't know how you guys feel. I enjoyed like some of the CGI, the big fight at the end. Like it didn't look cheap. Uh, we talked a little bit about how expensive the show was. And going into this episode, I was like, why does this show cost so much? And then I saw that and I go, oh, that's expensive. I mean, I don't know if you guys are with me, but like, like we turned into the abomination, like that's legit, like a theatrical abomination effect, I felt like. But I'm starting to see looks on your faces that suggest maybe you guys didn't think so. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's $212 million worth of visual effects, you know. Right. A good chunk of it. I mean, I think on that note, they did a pretty good job of creating the sort of anxiety of, is this character a scroll? Um, I mean, I at least like had the point, you know, like maybe it didn't pay off as much as I had hoped, but there was a little bit of, you know, that feeling of all of these characters, you know, in that last episode. I was really excited to see who was going to surprise me by being a scroll. It didn't pay off, but yeah, you know, like it, did, you, did it not surprise you that the, uh, that the Nick Fury that was at the nuclear plant was not Nick Fury. No, not at all. <laughs> it took me five minutes or so before I realized what was going on. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. That's not how radiation poisoning works, which I mean, like, yes, they wouldn't like Marvel could totally present radiation poisoning wrong, but we've all seen Chernobyl at this point. That's not how iodine pills or radiation poisoning works. Ah, see, I had no idea. So I was just going along with it. 
Um, Adam already kind of got into this. Do you have an MVP? Like who you thought was your favorite person on this show? I mean, maybe Sonia. <laughs> I was trying to sit here. I was like, General Ross or whatever his name is now. Like, <laughs> um, a- a- Sonia. She absolutely stole the show. Yeah. Um, Amelia Clark, Gaia, like surprised me. Like I ended up liking her. I'm I'm not a huge fan of Amelia Clark, so like I ended up liking her a lot more than I expected. I feel like they did a lot with that character and clearly set her up for something else. So she exceeded expectations. I felt like she was good at being ambiguous too. Yeah. Like I think believably they could break her as a good guy down the road or as a bad guy down the road. And I'd be okay with that because so far she's been this really conflicted presence that doesn't know how she feels about certain things. And I don't, I don't think that's easy. Like, I think it's far easier to play up as the villain or play up as the hero, but doing something that could waffle either way, I think is difficult. Um, I would say, I feel like the guy that played Gravik did a good job with what like he had. I felt his little monologue there at the end about like who he was asked to kill and what it took from him and that Fury didn't care like what it did to him psychologically there. I'm trying to make this a positive thing, not a criticism. There's a whole vein in this show about people's reticence to accept people who are different than them. And like that whole line kind of in the middle of like, um, you know, is Gaia as fury that said something like, I thought it would be easier to like, um, I forget the exact line. It was something along the lines of it was a whole lot easier to do these missions and to save the world than it would be to convince 8 billion people to accept you. Like, I think that's a really fascinating through line. And does Fury really love his wife for who she is and not the way she can make herself look like, I think there was a lot of good stuff there that could have actually been a much more meaningful story if it was more consistently held, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think they touched on some good points. Um, Kingsley that played Gravik also is one of the Kens in Barbie. And that really weirded me out when I saw Barbie last night. (laughs) I just want, I I have to learn his name because I keep wanting to call him Ben Kingsley. I'm like, no, that's not Ben Kingsley, you know, like different person. Yeah, I think it's like Kingsley Ben. His name is like it's really yeah, close. It's it's like yes, it's a that's what messes with my brain. Yeah, it's Kingsley Ben Adair. There you go. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam, I didn't preview this ahead. If you had to see this show extend into another movie, another TV show, what part of this would you like to see keep going? Like, what part of this? interest you as a continuing concept or character or thing um i mean i would uh, we already know it goes straight into armor wars because i would guess erody probably doesn't even know tony stark's dead and someone's built up an empire involving stark technology there's all that stuff that's going on in the comics now that almost seems armor wars-esque uh if you've been reading iron man and i'm sure caleb you read the hellfire gala thing this week no i always um i'm always three months behind marvel marvel unlimited okay you haven't gotten spoiled yet have you no i hear that there's something surprising though that came out (laughs) of it surprising surprising sure word to use for that um but yeah it's i do i want to see it man it's probably gonna happen i i don't think i'd mind it i'm not even sure if marvel knows what they're gonna do with armor wars yet um does that answer your question yeah i can't think of anything else rhiannon do you have anything out of this you'd like to see like as a continuation yeah i mean i think i think i said this to you guys earlier but um where the series ended is kind of where i thought we would be at the end of episode two where like humans know scrolls exist and they're freaking out and the whole world is trying to figure out who's a scroll and who is not and they're shooting regular people and thinking they're scroll you know i that chaos 
is just like I don't care where we see it next but I would like to see that that's that's sort of what I thought we would be getting from this show um so like I really I want to see that in whatever property touches back on this subject like I don't see how the rest of the universe can act like this never happened um yeah because like this is a worldwide thing that's known to the whole world so in general i'm really interested in seeing that conflict and anxiety because like i said i really kind of enjoyed like the tension of is this person really who we think they are i was really wanting in the end like what i really like i wanted a major twist at the end like when they shot roadie for it to really be roadie and there to be that emotional turmoil and you know um you know that they had switched back or something and so we didn't get any of that so i kind of want that not that i want real characters to die or real people you know but i i want that tension and that anxiety um from whatever future property if it's armor wars if it's new world order something i mean i'm i'm very much with you i think that um them shooting someone they thought was a scroll and they've not is something that would have made the show better i think i I mean i don't know if fury had killed maria hill thinking she was a scroll and it showed his fallibility and like not knowing what's what i think that would have been a really interesting wrinkle to the thing um i also say in our chat the idea that there would be scrolls that might not know that they're scrolls. Like this was a really interesting thing to me in secret vision in the comics. As I remember, there's like a new, like Marvel is back and they're like, Oh, Marvel is resurrected. And the scroll who is Marvel really thinks he's Marvel. Like they sort of implanted memories in his brain. And the idea that someone would maybe even plead for their life, really thinking they weren't a scroll and then like even the shock on their own face as their like skin starts to change, like that could be very interesting. And so like, uh, but I'm with you, like this whole idea that there's a bunch of idiots running around shooting people because they think they're scrolls and the hysteria of they live amongst us. I think that's a very like thematically fascinating thing. It says a lot about the world that we live in and the way we demonize people so quickly and the idea that like it's totally cool to just like mow down a scroll, I mean, they're still a living sentient being, but if they're a scroll, we're just allowed to shoot them. Like I thought that last 10 minutes introduced all sorts of interesting things that would have been great in the show, you know? Uh, and I agree that if Captain America Brave New World does not touch on some of this somehow, we're back to agents of shield days, right? Where like the stuff that's going on in the TV shows had nothing to do with the movies. You cannot have the president of the United States declare all out war and show like random assassinations happening in the streets. And then your next movie be like, so back to normal. Like there's gotta be something there, you know? All right. Let's, uh, we can also say the other things. I think we all just agree. The show was just a nothing burger, right? Like there was just, there's just so little to the show right mm-hmm. and there was just so much potential i i oh, there was so much potential and i get like tv shows can be slow they give us that but i mean so if we look at it even as a oh this was a chance to really get to know nick fury and really you know see his home life and relationships that we haven't had chance to sit with. I also feel like that wasn't great. Like it feels like a three hour movie was split into this and they were like, Oh, we have to give some like downtime and show Gary's home life for a little bit. Just to interject quickly. I I don't understand why you're doing a six episode show and the episode is 34 minutes long. What like the whole beauty of the format even if it's just people sitting in a room talking around a conference table or Nick Fury and his wife going out to dinner, like why is there not more like, I'm not saying make it long to make it long, but like, why don't we go deeper? Why is everything getting rushed into 
you know, like Ted Lasso episodes are an hour and 15 minutes long sometimes. And I think it's a bit too long, but still like as TV has these movable times, why Marvel is trying to fit stuff in almost to a 28 minute, like sitcom level. I don't understand that at all. Sorry. That was just me being frustrated as you spoke about that stupidity, you know? Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, I mean, I almost want to dig into who the lead writers are. I mean, one, they're using lead writers instead of showrunners. And I truly feel that we're seeing the difference because showrunners and television have a specific purpose that helps deepen everything. And I'd really be interested in looking into like who the lead writers for Miss Marvel and moon Knight were versus these other shows like um the other shows that have kind of been less satisfying to see like their tv experience but uh this one person was in the uh mr robot room fascinating yeah and marvel wanted their own mr robot and it very clearly wasn't that no yeah i mean and even in the room that at least mr robot is old model writer's room um which goes to sort of like part of what the writers are asking for in the strike not to circle back to that is that they have a more complex room so like in modern times like people in the room aren't getting the experience of seeing the show through start to finish so they're not learning that process um, but Mr. Robot was old enough that this person probably would have seen the whole process, but I, I don't know. I mean, to me, they just still aren't good at television. Um, they've, they've had some success. Miss Marvel was good. Moon Knight was good as far as not even like, if you look at the plots and all of that, just that they were decent at presenting good episodes of television that moved through an continuous arc throughout the season. It seems like when Marvel gets to the characters, they care about more when they get to these big properties, they're doing it worse because they can only think in the movie mindset. And it's just disappointing because they have such good stuff to work with. Do you guys think this is better or worse than agents of shield? My take would be like a lot of the Disney Plus stuff. It's not nearly as good as the best Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I will take a bad Disney Plus episode any day over a bad AOS episode because the worst of the AOS stuff was almost unwatchable. So, I mean, that that's kind of my take. And I don't know if I, I'll probably make people annoyed with that, but like, no. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had higher highs and lower lows than what this had. Um, but the only to me it felt like the only thing separating this from the the whole Y five O reboot was an occasional superhero arm or something, you know. It felt very network television to me. Um it's so disappointing, man. Some of it too is like maybe I'm going too far. I struggle to even understand exactly what the plot was here. Hey, there's scrolls on earth and it's causing trouble. So Nick Fury shows up and then everything gets worse. And then Nick Fury goes, all right, job is done. I'm going to leave. You're like, what? You didn't fix anything. You didn't make anything like Gravik being dead, I guess is the main way the plot resolved. But like, and then there was, tell me if I'm wrong, the scene at the end where they find all the people that have been body snatched, like in a basement somewhere. There was no lead up to how they found that room. There's no lead up to who those people are or what it means. It was just like, hey, this is a discarded piece to something we shot earlier and decided not to use. So we need to throw it in at the end. Like, I thought maybe they were going to reveal like the president was in that room or something. But it just all, it just felt like no plan. It was very much to me like the sequel trilogy of Star Wars. That they made one episode and they went, oh, we got to do another one now. And they just threw something else together. And then, oh, okay. And then when it was over, they're like, oh, let's let Nick Fury, Nick Fury and his wife kiss. And then, um, yeah, that'll give us closure. Like, I don't understand. At, at this point, I could not plot out for you what was happening with the plot. Like, where it was going. What was the impetus to it? Like, there was no hook to it. 
It was like the scrolls on Earth. There always has been. Nick Fury's always known that there are, but he still had to show up because something, and then something happened, and then it all was worse, and then he left. Like, I don't know. Am I crazy there? I think that summarizes it very well. <laughs> I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, at some point in that last episode, Fury said, "Oh, this is why I'm here." But I don't remember what it was. You know. He was like, oh, here's the element of it that was so bad that I had to come back. And I don't remember what that was. And I don't care. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the, the most telling point of all of it for me was like a couple days after I watched the last episode. Um, our buddy Charles Murphy tweeted something about there was no after credits for Secret Invasion. And when I read that tweet, I was like, oh. I didn't even think to care. Like when the episode was over, I turned off my TV. I didn't even think, Ooh, what's this going to lead to? Yeah. Like my brain did not even have any interest in an after credits scene when I got to the end of this show, which is an absolute first for me. And the BS that we've heard, like, well, we felt like we wanted you to just sit with the emotional conclude. Okay. End game didn't need any end credits because there was stuff for us to sit with. This did not like provide some sort of deep catharsis that I needed like no end credits to like deal with. If anything, I was hoping for a palate cleanser so I could get ready for something better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have led into something with the Marvels because. Because it's Nick Fury and the Kree. Oh, Yes. Uh, yeah um i was thinking i'm have no problem saying unabashedly this is the worst disney plus show like is it obviously the worst one in your guys minds Uh, what else is rhiannon's thinking she's probably i want to know her thoughts i i i really hated falcon and winter soldier like I was dissatisfied with episodes as I watched Falcon and Winter Soldier. This show, I at least had hope that it was going to be good for a few episodes. So I'm going to say it's not my least favorite. Wow. To me, Falcon and Winter Soldier, though, opened with our characters in one place. And it actually took them on a personal journey and landed them in another place. Like... To me, it did that at the very least. I don't think this show did that, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's any value in ranking the worst. (laughs) Yeah, that's just negativity upon negativity. (laughs) Okay, I am also fascinated by an alternate universe where they put this out in January. Like on the one hand, I think people go oh, it was another show. We'll move on to the next one. I think the fact that it was the first one for nine months probably didn't help it. But also, I would not have wanted to be in Marvel PR if this had come out and then after the last episode, Quantumania came out the week after. Like That would have been a rough rough time. All right. Well, I guess what's... I mean, is Loki next? Here's my question. Are you confident enough in Loki and the folks that make Loki... That you can just move on from this and have some trust that Loki will be good? At this point, I have zero faith in Marvel Studios' development of television shows. <laughs> I was trying to give us an opportunity to be optimistic, but okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm super optimistic. I'm excited for Loki. I think it could, has the chance to be really good. Yeah. Um, real. Oh, you want a cynical question? Is Loki coming out? while SAG is on strike a benefit because then they don't have to answer why Jonathan Majors is not doing press? Probably. Well, and so, I mean, like, and will press be, I mean, one, will they continue to release stuff without Tom Hiddleston able to do press or do they push things further? Like how soon is Loki? Uh, Loki, I think October 6th or something like that. Okay. So they could still be banking on, you know, things wrapping up by then. 
Um, They're also full-fledged ahead, I think, with Ahsoka, despite the fact they won't be able to bring Rosario Dawson in to pump that up. Yeah. So, I mean, like, will they do... Will they continue to release things if they can't send the celebrities out to do press? Or will they... I mean, you know, again, like there was the rumors that they were releasing stuff like right as the pandemic was coming back that they weren't sure was going to do okay. So they would release it anyways, because then when it did badly, they could blame it on the pandemic. But, you know, in reality, it might have been that it was bad. Do they hold off on some stuff and release some others? I also am suspicious that streaming is real different than movies. Because the movies, like, it's like you want them on Colbert and you want them on, you know, Seth Meyers and you yeah. want the YouTube clips. I feel like with the TV shows, like, even if they have the actors back, they'll get Hiddleston at a premiere and he'll do like a week of podcasts. But then by week two, we're going to get the director of Loki and week three, it'll be the special effects team. I mean, Adam, hasn't that roughly been how they've been working with you guys that? The cast really are only there for the first week or two of the show, and then they move on to other entities to promote. Yeah, it depends. I mean, you have everyone at the junket at the beginning, then there's a press conference that virtually, I mean, we could probably get an invite to the press conference if you guys want, because uh, everyone just hops on a Zoom call. Um, and then, yeah, it depends. Um, usually they try to stagger out so it's at least one actor a week. Um, and then they'll bring back a big name or the director or the head writer at the end again. Um, this time around, they didn't really do any below the line. Below the line, people have been uh, sending stuff out crazy because uh, PR people need something to do, <laughs> obviously. But um, yeah, sometimes it depends. You know, when it comes to Disney and Marvel, some shows they do visual effects and production design and makeup and costumes. And sometimes they don't yeah. um, secret invasion. I think they just are trying to bury it as quickly as possible. Well, and I think it'll be interesting if we're just going to see a whole bunch of Kevin Feige interviews, just a ton of you know, <laughs> over and over and over Feige and the director. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see the uh, makeup people talk about how they do scroll makeup. I think it's, I don't know. I feel like the scrolls look pretty good. And I think a lot of that is probably pretty practical. So I am just so bitter about it at this point that I think that like a lot of that probably could be very practical, but instead they spent a hundred million dollars on special effects to make it impractical. It's better than love and thunder. It I, is better than love and thunder. I don't think it's, I think it might be worse than in quantum. Like at the end of this year, when we rank stuff, it's going to be like, guardians and then this is only the third thing this year right so we have guardians it was awesome and then quantum mania and this like fighting down in the mud pile at the bottom so just hoping loki and the marvels will redeem us and we'll be feeling better about stuff i hope yeah. so and then echo comes about out echo which is probably oh, we a breakout hit. it's rough times man it's rough times i want echo to be good i want it to be good I, I see right. like there's constant leaks about Echo that are like, it's going to have a lot of Kingpin. It's going to, it just feels like them being like, no, really people, you want to watch it. I swear. All right. Let me finish with this. I want your guys take Vincent D'Onofrio responded to a tweet the other day. And I don't even think he's supposed to <laughs> because of the strike. And they were like, I've seen enough PG 13 Kingpin for a lifetime. All right. Thought exercise. If you take every moment of Wilson Fisk throughout the Netflix shows, right? I would argue that every moment put together in a movie would be an R-rated movie. But how many seconds do you have to cut out to get it down to a PG-13? Like that one minute, however long the car door is smashing. I think that's all you'd have to cut out to make it PG-13. Yeah, it'd be 30 seconds. It would be like the car door... And you can probably still show like half of the car door smashing. Just, just not take effects. it so far. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then there is a scene where like little kid Wilson Fisk hits his dad over the head with a hammer. 
Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to cut a second or two of that. Maybe. See, but I, I don't. I don't know. I think the worst part of it's the next scene where we see the dude's head or the headless body on the table, you know? Yeah, but I think you can show that in PG-13. Can you? I'm not sure anything needs to be removed then for the sound effects. But at the same time, like look at the stuff they get away with on The Walking Dead, you know? So this is my only point, and I'm not trying to single out whoever tweeted this. I'm not using your handle or whatever. It, it just seems bananas to me. People are like, no, if it's not R-rated Wilson Fisk, I don't want it. What? The beauty of the performance was never how gruesome it was or how violent it was or that Wilson Fisk is throwing around F-bombs. The brilliance of it is that you can do a PG kingpin with Vincent D'Onofrio and he will still scare the pants off of you because he's amazing. And so this idea that like, Vincent D'Onofrio needs violence like a crutch to like make his character intimidating. I found to be ridiculous. I just didn't know if you guys thought that too. <laughs> well, and that even like, so when I saw Vincent in the panel in Philadelphia recently um, in early June, somebody asked him like, what was your favorite fight? And he was like, I don't fight. Like if they yeah. give me a fight, I just throw somebody across the room. Like other than the car door, there was nothing that I do that actually counts as a fight, you know, which it, like, he's not an active character. He's not, he's not shooting people in the head. He's not, his psychological manipulation is the scary part of him, Yeah, which I have no faith Marvel studios can handle, but the <laughs> psychological manipulation there if we want to be if you want to be fatalistic about what's coming from daredevil born again or echo is that like that they're going to try to make him a very physical character and his psychological manipulation is the scariest part of him yeah like that moment in daredevil season three where ray you know confesses that he's found all this mysterious plot and finds out that the people he confessed to were people that Fisk had in his pocket like that was his violence yeah and it you know no he doesn't need to be r-rated yeah I, it's just it was one of those comments that i was like oh geez what are we even fighting about you know like ugh. i'm worried that in the end the fans are going to make me wish they just recast daredevil like i just think charlie and vincent are going to get so much garbage from the fans that are like, it's not Netflix. I'm mad. It's going to be unfair to them. You know, uh, trust me. I have seen some, it's Elden Hinson isn't into this foggy Nelson. Why even? And like, yeah. I love Elden Hinson as foggy Nelson, but why? There's a lot of reasons why, like, <laughs> yeah, like there's plenty more. Foggy dies in like every third Daredevil comic. <laughs> like, I yeah, just give it a chance. And I think that's what the tweet that Vincent maybe got in trouble for was just saying, "Be patient." Yeah, like everybody, stop losing your mind before you've seen everything. Anything? Yeah. Well, and we didn't get into this. There's been some like rumors that Daredevil's really bad, but the rumors are coming from like not websites that I would take my rumors from, you know. I, I mean, I think at this Where point, these, yeah, they're not even they're not even a third done film in the series. How do they know it's bad? Uh, the one I saw was Cosmic Book News. Oh, that was oh. saying that it's going to be just as goofy as She Hulk, and so it's not going to be any good. And I'm like, wow. There's just no way in the world they're making a Daredevil show the same tone as She-Hulk, you know? And if they do, the Wade run is one of... The Mark Wade run of Daredevil is goofy as heck, and it is simultaneously one of the darkest runs of Daredevil. Like, if you need that dramatic art of like the the actual the bendis run and stuff like that man without fear to to know that it is dark but that mark wade run is simultaneously goofy it's the one where he shows up at the party with the i'm not daredevil shirt and that almost everybody's seen and just yeah 
while being so dark. Yep. So I. But Rhiannon, you're asking people to do more than just watch Netflix, also to read comics. And I think that's too far for many people. Yeah. I mean, not even read comics. That's. I mean, this is totally getting off subject and it's stuff that like I did a whole podcast with Saved Daredevil. They have a podcast on with my buddy Shelby because we have actually watched all five seasons of Covert Affairs, which is the TV show that Matt Corman and Chris Ord show ran for the five seasons. And they're the showrunners for Daredevil Born or sorry, lead writers. I don't know what their title is for Born Again. And the thing about Covered Affairs season one, like when you go into that first, that blue sky era of USA, is they have episodes that are so bright and shiny, blue skies, you know, happy, beautiful people, perky little blondes, like multiples of the episode, like bipping around doing their lives in the whole episode. And then you get to the end and it's like, and her life is ruined forever. And that guy is dead. And there is like a really deep, dark thing happening over here. And I'm like, but I just watched a happy peppy show. but this is dark. Like these people are all messed up forever. And I, I like, I think it's too deep for a lot of the audience to get it, to see it. They'll only see the bright perky, perky stuff. Yeah. But I think the darkness will be there in the subject matter and what happens, or at least that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Caleb, did you see the villain rumor this week for the first arc of Daredevil? I did see that, and I yeah. can't even bring myself to hope for it. I know, I know, I know. For Do our listeners out there, there, Muse is report or rumored to be the the first villain. Oh. I my I'd be so happy. That that's my that's my uh, soapbox Charles Soul stuff. Let's just make it. Charles Soul all day long. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. We appreciate it. We'll be, uh, I don't know when we'll be back. We'll talk about something between now and Loki coming out in October, I'm sure. But uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for everybody who supports us. We'll talk to you guys later.